This is Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and Ella's Leash Production. Heard as a podcast around the world, but heard first on radio stations 100.7 WHUD-FM and Real Country 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Shine On, bringing you healers and dreamers and people who want to make life richer. It's your time to shine on. It's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. We're going to get some neuro-linguistic programming from Richard Bandler today. Little tricks you can do to make your life move forward. We're going to have a great meditation from spiritual teacher Steve Quinn on the power of yes and no. But first, we are going to the dogs. Maria Godavage is here. She is the New York Times bestseller of Soldier Dogs, Top Dogs, Secret Service Dogs. Her latest now is Dr. Dogs. I love dogs, and I, I, I started writing about dogs who work in the military, and I was amazed at the bonds they have with their handlers. When they're out there in war settings, they are just there with each other. they dependent completely on each other's lives. Uh, so the dog is dependent on the person for everything, and the person is there. The dogs are leading these troops through these mine-infested fields, and everyone depends on this dog and their sense of smell and their bond with the handler. And it's that kind of work, I just love seeing that. I have a bond with my dog that's fantastic, but the bonds of working dogs with their people is something apparently that I can't even imagine that, that was, my life does not depend on my dog, but theirs do. And now this whole new field is coming up with these doctor dogs. More and more dogs are being employed, shall we say, there are pets, but they're being trained to be able to sniff out a wide variety of diseases in, in homes and also in laboratory settings. So there are two different categories of these doctor dogs. And really, it's the, the bond and their incredible senses of smell that's at work here. The dogs can smell in parts per trillion, which is like two tablespoons of something in the size of two big Olympic-sized swimming pools. Wow. They are, yeah, it's incredible what they can smell and that their brains are really well-equipped to make sense of these smells. Their olfactory world is rich and vivid. It's kind of like our visual world. Now, one researcher likes to say that dogs can smell in color, so that just shows you, you know, dogs can really do things like we think of looking at something, they think of smelling it. Yeah. And so dogs are going around in these research settings. They're happy pet dogs usually who just come in for the day. They get rewarded when they smell the scent of cancer, for instance. And they're able to smell cancer at very early stages accurately. And the idea one day is that they will lead to a technology by being able to tell us with use of our technology what cancer smells like. What are these compounds that are coming off of cancer that maybe devices that we will develop in the future will be able to detect. So one day for something hard to detect like ovarian cancer, hard to detect early, you might be able to go to your doctor's office and breathe into a tube and they may say, nope, you're good or, ah, you know, early stage one here, which is something most women with ovarian cancer don't hear, stage one, stage two. It's usually much farther along. And this is because of the technology that dogs will help us get one day. They're also at work in homes doing all kinds of heroic work every day, saving their people from diabetic lows. They can tell someone 
they're having a diabetic low way before their technology can, maybe 15 or 20 minutes. So that gives the person that much more time to prepare to take glucose, to have some orange juice or something. Um, they can tell the onset of seizures. It used to be thought there is no smell to seizures. Well, there is. Uh, the first research papers just came out showing that dogs can smell seizures. And people who have had trained dogs for this know this. Uh, the dogs are being trained on the scent of the person's seizure. When they meet the person for the first time, oftentimes within a few hours, they'll alert. They'll sit down and stare or do whatever they're doing. And the person indeed has a seizure. So now the person can go out in the world and not have to worry they're going to drop in the middle of the street. The dog can tell them ahead of time or even something as simple as taking a shower. They couldn't do this by themselves before someone had to be there or they at least had to be sitting. The dog can now give them that comfort to be able to do this. They're also, they're alerting to impending heart issues, some mysterious paralyses and dystonias, some unusual sleep disorders, migraines, and even um, some mental health issues with high levels of anxiety, panic attacks, PTSD. Um, I even wrote about one girl who has schizophrenia and how her dog, by virtue of just by simply being a dog, not even using a sense of smell, has been able to really turn some things around for her. Like she has very bad hallucinations, both auditory and visual. They're really evil people coming at her, but her dog is really friendly and greets everybody. So she's come to realize that if her dog isn't seeing these things, isn't greeting these people as evil as they are, they're not there. So the dog, just as I said, by virtue of being a dog, can help her separate these terrible hallucinations from reality. And and that's that's uh, the dog has been trained to prevent her from cutting herself and trained to keep her from being anxious. But this is just a fringe benefit. So there's a wide range of these new doctor dogs jobs, and it's just growing all the time. And it's very positive reward based for the dog. Dogs love to work, and this is something they're doing with the people they love most. It's true. Dogs love to have a job, even if it's just going to grab their toy to greet you when they come home. They lo- Every dog loves to have its own little job. But I don't understand, Maria, how they even start to train a dog to smell the oncoming seizure. Like, do, can, you under- yeah. can you break that down for us at all? Sure, sure. So what they're doing now, in the, in the old days, they used to train dogs to just be response dogs for people with seizure disorders. So the dogs would be there for the seizure. The dog would be by the person so that they, they feel safe. The dog might have some tag on them that lets people know this is someone in a seizure. The dog has been trained to push a life alert button to alert someone, if or maybe 911 if it's serious, so the dog can call 911. So the dog was already doing great things, but then they found dogs were able, even pet dogs, sometimes would get really anxious, and then the person would have a seizure. They realized dogs can tell the dog is anxious, 10 minutes later, I'm going to have a seizure. So they started training dogs on the scent of the person in a seizure. So what they would have a person do would be to give saliva samples right after a seizure or when they could onto gauze. And um, also, if someone was there while they were having a seizure, the, the person could be swabbed with gauze so that they could have sweat samples. And the dogs would be trained on these samples. Now, we sure can't smell that, but there is something going on in a person that's very different when they're having a seizure. And it doesn't seem to matter what kind of seizure. It's it's many kind of seizures have been tested and the dogs can alert. So the dog gets the scent and when they acknowledge the scent, this beginning training, they just have to put their nose um, on the test tube, let's say, that has that scent. They get a reward. They breathe it in. They realize, oh, there's something in here. There's this odor. So eventually they come to 
to pair that odor with good things. I smell this. I sit when I smell this. They tell the dog to sit. I get a reward. And so then that's kind of an easy jump from them to being able to smell it on the person. And it's all reward-based after the seizure or if there's someone during a seizure who's with the dog, the dog gets praise and reward. Same with blood sugar. You know, who knew? The person, the person having a diabetic low sure doesn't smell different to other people, but they smell different to dogs. They do the same thing, saliva and sweat samples, and they train the dogs on these samples. And sure enough, the dog will, uh, with a lot of training, be able to distinguish low blood sugar. Some dogs are trained on high blood sugar as well, and they'll, they'll give the alert. Uh, and science does not know what they're smelling. They're, they're beginning to look for the volatile organic compounds that are coming off of us when uh, we are in these stages. Um, even for cancer, science has no idea what it is, what VOCs, volatile organic compounds, or patterns of them that the dogs are sniffing. But the idea is that the dogs will lead to technology one day. So scientists are actually using a technology called GCMS, gas chromatography, magnetic spectrometry, which is a chemical analysis technique. And they're feeding the scents back to the dog. Hey, is it these compounds, dog? The dog doesn't alert. Back to the drawing board. Is it these compounds? The dog does alert. Okay, that's maybe part of what makes up this cancer scent. And maybe one day we'll be able to go into our doctor's office and breathe into a tube and say, uh, yeah, you've got early stage this or that cancer, or let's check this out further. And this is going to be thanks to dogs. Dogs aren't going to be in the back rooms of our doctor's offices analyzing us. They'll lead to a technology. And what better use for our best friends? They're, yeah. they're going to be this intermediary stage for yeah. helping early cancer detection, for instance. It's an interesting picture to think of all of these scientists in white coats in a room <laughs> trying to figure something out and the dog knows, the dog can recognize something that the scientists can't even pinpoint. Right, and the scientists are dying to know this and they really, literally they are wearing white coats and bringing things back to dogs and saying, is this it? Maybe one day technology will come to a point where the dogs can sort of talk, quote unquote. There are things being developed now with touchscreen technologies where a dog might be able to push something like it's this cancer or this is it but the, the what they're smelling is currently a mystery they don't know if say cancer has one overall signature scent or if each cancer has a different scent they don't even know that but it's just the beginning stages and it's so exciting and the, the ramifications of this the benefits that can come from this are really wonderful and the fact that dogs are literally having a ball doing this they'll get a ball they'll get a treat that's their paycheck they get lots of positive reinforcement um, it's just all such good feel-good stuff and yeah. uh, expect this to really go places in the not-too-distant future hopefully wow and the dogs I, I'm sure they must feel that they're doing good work but can they get fatigued doing this kind of work um, not that kind of work not the work in research centers they get breaks they if the dog isn't on they're not going to work so and the people can tell when they're getting tired so absolutely um, and but the dogs who are in homes who are say um, on for diabetes 24 7 even when their vest comes off and they're inside they're they're trained to do this, but I have not yet seen a dog who gets exhausted. They love this work. They Some dogs can wake up 
to the scent of a diabetic low. Like we might, if you're sleeping and you smell bacon or coffee, mm-hmm. you might wake up going, hmm. So the dogs are, are always kind of keyed into that because that means, oh, I'm going to get a reward and I'm going to help and people are going to love me and I love this kid who has diabetes and all these good things. So they don't get exhausted. The one dog who did um, was in Croatia um, and, and this was a dog who was a very kind of a worry wart, very motherly kind of dog and she was always worried about her dog, her person having seizures. They trained her themselves and this young man had so many seizures all the time mm-hmm. and she did. She had fatigue but you know when a dog gets to a certain age um, they retire the dogs uh, because they don't want the dogs to be tired and right. this dog was retired and they trained someone else in her place and so she helped train that dog but usually the dogs are really on it and when they do start showing signs that it's a bit much then they retire them and they're just happy pets after that. That's Maria Godavage, G-O-O-D-A-V-A-G-E dot com. If you'd like a copy of the book Dr. Dogs, email me from the website casey.co. Okay. Now take a breath and listen in. Natural healer and spiritual teacher Stephen Quinn is here with today's meditation. This meditation is about choice. It's about the power of yes and no. And it goes with the color amethyst, which is part blue and part red in good balance. Now, here's a question. What is a human? The defining factor of a human is freedom of choice. We have free choice. A cat and a dog do not. A tree doesn't. A galaxy doesn't. The planet doesn't. They have a robotic function to perform. We humans are special in the universe. No matter what we look like, no matter our condition, we have freedom of choice. We're robotic on one end, but the other end is open, ready for you to write. And the purpose of life is to give back your unique gift, your unique fingerprint, by deciding what you want to do. By deciding what you want to do and be. Now, let's experience the feeling of yes and no. The power of yes and no. Think for a moment about yes. Say it aloud if you want. Feel it. Feel yes when you say yes to something. A full yes. You open. You become bright, optimistic. You let something in. Feel yes as it radiates through you. Now, feel no. Say no. No carries the power of negation, denial. Feel it through your system. It resonates from the spine. It's to do with your backbone. Now here's some special knowledge. Every human has an aura. And as you should know, your aura is all you have. It is the theater you do your whole life within. And when you go, that'll be what you have. What you've built is the contents within that aura space. Now here's some special knowledge about yes and no. When you say no, or when you say yes, you tell a part of yourself to flash to the edge of the aura and either open or close. Your aura is like a cell that has a semi-permeable membrane, and you decide what passes through and what doesn't. When you say yes to something, you allow it in. When you say no to something, you deny it and bar its entry into the temple that's your life. Now, energy is everywhere. We process it, 
It passes from person to person, thing to thing, concept to concept. All of it is energy. Be more clear about your yes and no. Your life, your aura, is your temple, and you get to decide what's in there. The human has the authority to cast anything out of its system and say yes to anything. Be very clear about what you say yes to and what you say no to, and you will surely become what you want to become. You're listening to Shine On, the Health and Happiness Show, and that's Stephen Quinn, a spiritual teacher and healer who's had great success working with people suffering from addictions of all kinds. Learn more about his energy work at quitwithquinn.com. At CBD Live Natural, their goal is to bring their customers the best all-natural products. There is a solution to change your quality of life that will help you live naturally without prescription drugs, which means you'll feel your best. CBD aids with health issues from fibromyalgia to anxiety, joint pain and eczema, acne, and so much more. The staff at CBD Live Natural really know their products, which helps them determine what's best for you, from oils and lotions and creams to candles, edibles, and even pet products. At CBD Live Natural, they don't just sell the products, they're consumers just like you. So you can trust them to recommend the best all-natural products to help you live natural and feel great doing it. CBD Live Natural stores can be found in Bedford Hills, the Westchester Mall in White Plains, and the Stanford Town Center in Stanford, Connecticut. Or you could shop online at their website anytime. CBDLiveNatural.com Hi, it's Casey. Thank you for shining on today. The next weekend retreat is coming up after the holidays at Marriondale and Ossining, the last weekend in February. Put that on your wish list and get more information at Casey.co. Finally today, meet Richard Bandler, a neuro-linguistic programmer who wrote Get the Life You Want, among many other books. He asks us to make some mental pictures smaller and other mental pictures larger so we can use our brains to change our lives. If you understand how your brain works and what it's supposed to do, then you can do it on purpose. We all, for example, have a memory. Some people use that memory to remember the things they failed at and then to think about their regrets or to think about what to be afraid of. When people say, I think I'm afraid of something, they're actually saying, I'm remembering I'm afraid. And if you understand neurologically how we do this, you can undo fears in 10 or 15 minutes. You can take a fear of heights and not be afraid of heights. I do it with Michael Strand uh, about snakes. I did it live on TV in New York. It took seven minutes to get rid of a fear that he'd had for years. And if you know how to get rid of your fears and then start planning and thinking, if you understand, because what I've created is a set of neurological tricks, not psychological tricks, where you increase the confidence you have in something and decrease the certainty you have about other things, but you do it on purpose so that the things that you're drawn to that you shouldn't be, like overheating, you can decrease your desire for those things mechanically by reducing the size of the images and the volume of voices in your head. So you say that uh, we start to see some results right away. If we want to, and let's start with the big one, you know, people want to talk about their eating habits. What are these neurological things that we do? Well, snacking too much is, number one, bad planning, because people say they want to go on a diet, but they never visualize themselves over time uh, in the situations where they're going to need to feel different. The whole trick is really to change uh, what you're looking at in your mind 
because it will change the way you feel. When you see yourself eating a, a bag of potato chips or a piece of cake, and, you know, or whatever the devil is that seems to pull you off of your diets, uh, the trick is, is to make a long-range plan where you see yourself getting to where you want to go, and when you look at it, you feel so drawn towards it that it's a stronger feeling than the desire to eat a piece of cake. And then you start taking all of these things that you that you do, like eating cake or, or overeating sweets or overeating starches or carbs or whatever it is, and you see yourself with those things, and you make a big picture of it, and you shrink it down and replace it with a picture where you see yourself going where you want to go. They always go, I want to quit smoking. They never see themselves as a non-smoker not caring about cigarettes. Walking oh. through a room full of people smoking and look at that picture and go, I want to be that person. And turn, make that picture mechanically the size of a giant screen and the picture of a pack of cigarettes the size of a cell phone screen and swap them. All right, and so all these pictures that you're talking about, these are pictures in our minds? Right, correct. Okay, so give me the picture, because you, you, you nailed me with the bag of potato chips in the beginning. So give me a picture of what uh, I want to look like. Sh- what should I be picturing if I don't want to be sitting down with a bag of potato chips? Okay, well, it, it's not that you, but you see, you have to plan ahead. Mm-hmm. You have to go, okay, this is something I frequently do. You see yourself doing it, and you feel drawn to eating potato chips right you put that aside for a minute and then if you weren't that girl you were the girl that instead went to the gym regularly and did the things and ate foods that made you healthy and you know made good food choices that's like an alternative movie and it's if you looked at it and created all the different scenarios in your mind of these things and then literally looked at the bag of potato chips and suddenly shrink it down and make the other movie really big trick is, is you have to do this really quick. You have to look at the things that get you and shrink them down suddenly. People come to me and they have memories that have haunted them for years. You know, they spend, uh, you know, uh, two minutes here and five minutes there and three minutes there thinking about some mistake they made in their past. Mm. And if you calculate and add it up, it can add up to an hour a day or two hours, which suddenly becomes 600 hours in a year, 6,010 years. 24,000 hours in, in, in 40 years. Right. It's an enormous amount of time people spend waste worrying about these things rather than rethinking them on purpose. Rethinking uh, them on purpose. Planning. And, okay. <laughs> so let's take a situation like that where someone has a bad memory that comes uh, up. If you had a memory you think about too often, you don't have to tell us what it is. But if you think about it and it makes you feel bad, then back put a border around it, shrink it down suddenly. Put a border around it and then shrink it down. To to the size of a quarter, but do it suddenly. Go border, shrink, and then just blink it black and white like a flickering light. Mm. You got it? Got it. Okay, now go back and look at it. Does it make you feel bad? No, it just looks like a tiny little speck of a thing. Right. And if you learn to do these things and you spend 10 minutes a day going through and cleaning up, you know, I mean, people go to the gym for an hour a day and exercise, but they don't use their mind and figure out how it works. Neurolinguistic programming has been around for, uh, I think I founded the field 40 years ago. And since then, I've trained hundreds of thousands of people on every continent except Antarctica. Oh, boy. 
I have institutes all over the planet doing this, and we've brought it into school systems to teach kids to spell properly and to add and multiply. Uh, I've written 32 books about how this is applied all over the place. The reason I wrote this is because I keep looking at what social media is making us dumber. It's making us have our self-esteem by how many likes we have on a page instead of by interacting with people and communicating well and thinking better. As you change the way you think, it will change the way you feel, and therefore it will change what you can do. And this book is a simple first step to get control of your brain, which means you'll have control of your life. Fantastic. Can you give us something we can use today, something for everyone listening that they can do to start to get to know how their brain works a little better? Well, one thing is, is if, if you don't, if, if you start to think things that make you feel bad, suddenly shrink them down so they're smaller than a cell phone screen. And if you're not feeling good, happiness isn't something that drops out of the sky. It must be practiced. And so if you spend four or five times a day thinking about the best memory you have and making it really big inside your mind, I'm, t- I'm talking, you know, uh, big movie theater big. And, and, and taking that feeling and literally noticing whether it spins forward, rotates back, or goes clockwise or counterclockwise. And whichever way it goes, spin it faster and start to think about what you're going to do that day, and you will feel better. How do you use this? Every day. <laughs> Most people say they're going to write a book. I say I'm going to finish a book. Ah. That's why I've done 32 of them. And the closer I get to the end, the better I feel. I don't get excited about writing the book and then let it empty like a balloon. I make it so that the closer I get to being finished with every page and every word, the better I feel. I make my feelings get stronger the closer I get to the end. That's Richard Bandler. Interesting dude. Find lots of his videos on YouTube and visit purenlp.com. That's neurolinguistic programming, purenlp.com. Our thought for the day is from Marcus Aurelius, who said, You have power over your mind, not outside events. Realize this, and you will find strength. Shine on. You've been listening to Shine On, the health and happiness show for your entertainment only. Heard Sunday mornings on 100.7 WHUD and on Real Country's 920, 1260, and 1420 AM, all in New York's Hudson Valley. Subscribe to Shine On on iTunes and SoundCloud and catch a show anytime at Casey.co. That's K-A-C-E-Y dot C-O. Shine On.